All right. Triple Tree 2020, here we go. It's happening. It is happening. So, hey, Aaron, great job. We're going to shoot a uh, sneak peek. Aaron and I are going to shoot a sneak peek uh, triple treat video this afternoon to help alleviate any concerns that people might have um, in experiencing this scavenger hunt. So um, we're excited. We we wrestled, right? We wrestled with um, whether we do something this year. And so our conviction is that uh, being for our community is a good thing. And so, hey, glad you guys are here. I love being one of the pastors and and glad you guys are joining us at home uh, to continue to to worship at home in your space, in the comfort of your pajamas, with your coffee, whatever you find yourself doing. We are glad you're still joining us and and good to be here in person and uh, and worshiping collectively, uh, believing that this is a good thing to be together. And so uh, for Triple Tree 2020, here's my need. Here's my hope. Here's my encouragement. That, uh, that we would love, between now and next Sunday, that you bring one, two, three, some bags of candy, believing that's going to be an encouragement to people who uh, will participate in this, and then that you would go online and sign up for one of the spaces, whether that's half of the time, and, uh, and you would let us know that you're signing up for half of the time for that slot, or for the entire experience, so that we could be a reflection of Jesus in our community. And so uh, that is happening very soon because we have a heart, right? You guys have seen this so many times that we have a heart to be people helping people find life with Jesus one life at a time. And so even through a Halloween event, our heart is that people find life with Jesus by the visible expression of a Halloween event during this unique time. And, uh, and if, if you are looking for a connection point around here, If you're looking to connect with some of our men or women, I'm going to encourage you. We have a little breakfast coming up for the men, 8 to 9 a.m. If you haven't heard about this, (laughs) 8 to 9 p.m., we're having crepes. And we're just sharing life with some of the men around here. Or my encouragement, uh, if you're looking for community, is one of our women around here. we got a great night. Uh, Michelle will do some teaching, and it'll be a great night of uh, connecting with other women on October 22nd starting at 6.30, both here on campus. Any additional details that I should add to that? You don't need to register, just show up. Ricky, you are not invited to that particular event, though. Uh, And and so we are continuing what we love around here. We love the text. We love hearing from God through his word. We believe that God actually wrote us a book to help us hear from him. And so we just love spending time on a Sunday morning collectively gathering collectively and worshiping him through his word. And so last week, we're powering through, and Peter is writing to an interesting audience right now that is being challenged. Nero, uh, in AD 64, literally set Rome on fire, was accusing the Christians of setting Rome on fire. And so Paul is writing, or Peter's writing to his readers that are in the midst of some challenging circumstances. They've been dispersed over modern-day Turkey. And and he's writing, And last week we heard him say this to his readers, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so Peter's readers could be thinking this. Hey, Peter, that's good for you. You saw Jesus. 
You walked with him for three years. Peter was one of Jesus' apostles. Peter, we know that you actually saw Jesus do these miracles. And so we understand, right, that seeing is believing. And so they're saying to Peter, Peter, you saw Jesus. You're challenging us to rejoice in the midst of our circumstances. You have a significantly different experience than we do. And I think seeing is believing in this sense. So when I text my wife that she's out for like an evening to Target, right? She gets a little night to herself and goes to Target. Do you guys do that? You guys, if you have a night away, you're going to choose to go to Target. Someday, someday, guys, a night away is Target. And so I text her and I'm like, hey, babe, you know, kids are in bed. They're fed. Jammies are on. And she's thinking, there is no possible way, right? I got to see that to believe that because there is no way that is true. Um, and something I learned this week, did you guys know that there are like 25,000 bugs on a Christmas tree? <laughs> I, I responded in the moment. I'm like, there is no way. There is absolutely no way that's true. There's no way. I need to see that because there is no way that could possibly be true. So next time, but here's the challenge. We've converted to uh, like the fake trees. You guys still chop down real trees? So when you go, let me know, because I, I that is just hard for me to believe, because seeing is believing. But in this text this morning, Peter's going to tell us this. Though you haven't seen him, you love him. Though you haven't now seen him, you believe in him. And so I'm going to read verse 3 to 9, but we're going to settle in verse 8 and 9. And Peter's going to challenge that idea that seeing is believing with something completely radical where he says, though you haven't seen him, you love him. Here's what he says. This new identity in Jesus actually produces in us this deep, genuine faith that though we haven't seen him, in the midst of the face of present suffering, we still can rejoice. That knowing that suffering is producing a deeper genuineness of our faith. And then he says this. In light of that rejoicing, he's going to tell us we are obtaining the outcome of our faith. The salvation of our souls. Here's what he says in the text. And I'm going to read verse 3 to 9. But we're going to settle in verse 8 and 9. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. He's saying, in that massive reality, you rejoice, though now for a little while you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, may be found in result and praise and honor at the glory of Jesus Christ. And though you do not see him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls Peter's writing to these readers who are saying, Peter, we get it. You saw Jesus. We understand how you could rejoice in the midst of challenging circumstances. But we didn't see him. 
And so Peter says this massive reality, though you haven't seen him, you still live in this new identity. So pray with me as we, as we dig into the text this morning. God, you're so good. We want to see you. And we want to hear Peter's encouragement. Though we haven't physically seen you, we still can believe and love you and rejoice in the midst of the circumstances because of the new identity we have been given through faith in you. So help us hear from you this morning through your word. For your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. So the big idea we're going to try and tackle, that this new identity, because of this new identity through faith in Jesus, we actually can rejoice in the midst of present sufferings, knowing that these, are a, these, these sufferings allow us to test the genuineness of our faith. And he's going to tell us it actually produces an outcome in obtaining of the salvation of your souls. So, Two ideas we're going to try and tackle. I think the first is the essence of faith. What is the essence of this thing called faith? And, and Peter writes in a, in, a, in a unique way in this particular section. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. H- how's that sound? What's he doing? Why is he telling them about their experience? Usually when you write a letter, you usually tell people about your experience, right? Hey, I had a nice day today. It was sunny. I went for a nice walk. Peter in his letter tells them about their experience. Why does he do that? Why does he write in this way? Though you have not seen him, and though you you do not now see him, you love him and you believe in him, And you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Why does he tell his readers about their experience? Here's my conviction. He's actually trying to lay the groundwork of what genuine faith, of what the essence of faith is. By telling them these realities, he's telling them the critical ideas of what's connected to the idea of genuine faith. And last week... We talked about the truth of the gospel and the door being opened. That when you come to believe Jesus is who he said he is, we open this door to the truth of the gospel. But sometimes, as we go through life, rather than this door being opened, it feels like it's locked. And our conviction last week was, in this you rejoice. We open the door to to the truth of the gospel and we rejoice, and we experience that joy. You guys ever heard of the game, Let's Make a Deal? Does that show, does that, thank you, Jeff. Does that sound familiar? In Let's Make a Deal, this is usually what happened. You'd have two doors on the stage, and you'd only want to open one of them. In Let's Make a Deal, there was a sweet prize behind one door, and there was something really junky behind the other door, and you'd only want to open one of them. It's a, but yes, but what Peter's telling us, he's actually saying the essence of faith is experiencing both doors being open, that the truth of the gospel touches our heart and we experience the joy of Jesus, that the essence of faith, he's saying this is the essence of genuine faith, it's the experience of both doors. Though you do not see him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice. Here's the challenge. He added one more complexity to that equation. Because when we experience the truth of the gospel, we could say, amen, hallelujah, living hope is what I'm experiencing. But then Peter adds one more complexity to this equation. What does he add? You rejoice in the midst of trials. And it's that that affirms the genuineness of your faith. That we rejoice in the midst of trials and that affirms the genuineness of our faith. And then he says, because you love Jesus, you believe Jesus is who he said he is and he is satisfying. Not coming to Jesus to get something else, but actually, well, if I come to Jesus, then my life's going to be better. If I come to Jesus, then I'm going to get these sweet things. Instead, he's saying we come to Jesus for the treasure that is Jesus. Believing if I have him, I have everything I need. That we believe in him. And then he's saying both these doors are experienced. That we rejoice with inexpressible joy. So, so this feels like the process of faith for me. And it doesn't feel like Peter is the only one telling this. So I want to read three other texts that I think Paul and James are trying to tell us the same thing. This comes from, from Paul's letter to the Romans. He says this, And we know, we're convinced, we believe that God, for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. James says it this way. He says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And then Paul says it one more time in Romans 5. He says it this way, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, not only that, not only that, but he's going to add that one more layer of complexity. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So this feels like the movement and the process of faith where it moves from my head and the truth of the gospel and it begins to touch my heart and it produces something in my life. That as I understand and I open the door to the truth of the gospel and who he is and my faith in Jesus, it begins to touch my heart increasingly. And there's an experience of joy in him that leads to actions. But here's what sometimes happens in this journey feels like sometimes as we experience the truth, as we hear truth and have an experience correlated to that or hear facts and it, and it resonates with my feelings, sometimes we hear facts and we go, that doesn't touch my heart. Does, does the fact that two plus two equal four touch your heart? Does that fact touch your heart? I mean, I, we go, yeah, two plus two equals four, great. Here's where the truth of 2 plus 2 begins to touch my heart is when I go and, and I'm expecting 2 plus 2 to equal 4 and they give me back $3. If I give something and I only get $3 back and I go, what, what? 2 plus 2 equals 4 and I'm being shorted. And so the truth of something begins to touch my heart. 
Sometimes in this journey of faith, it feels like we believe certain things, but we just discount the heart from the process, and we just will things to happen. And we just go straight to behaviors. I believe this. It doesn't matter how I feel. I should just do it. I believe this to be true. I'm not experiencing it, but I just need to will it and suck it up and make it happen. And, and we discount the heart from the equation. It seems like Peter is giving us a different view on how we're supposed to live out this idea of the essence of faith. Because you ever, you ever see those lights come on in your car, those dashboard lights? So right now I'm driving on a flat tire because uh, Walmart's uh, tire repair service has been closed. And so I've been filling up my back rear right tire for the past probably three, four months. And, uh, and it has been an exhausting process. And so every time there's a light on my dashboard that comes on, what does it tell me, Ricky? Low tire pressure. It's telling me something. It's indicating something about my experience of me driving my vehicle. What's it telling me? I have a flat tire. So I need to go and fill the air back in that tire. It seems the same is true with suffering. That when I encounter suffering in this life, it's like the idiot lights of faith that are telling me something about my experience. Because here's how we defined suffering last week. Come on, and I thought the dashboard lights were stinking funny. Nobody else, just me? Just me? All right, all right, just me. What is suffering? We talked about this last week. It's the gap between our actual state and our desired state. That there are things in life that I experience and it's, it's not what I would desire. What do we call that? What is that gap called? There was a guy back in California that I knew. His name was Dan Jones. And he said, that's, that's the definition of suffering. That gap between where I am and where I'd want to be, and I'm experiencing that gap. But for the Christian, what do we believe? That actually in my actual state, I have everything I need. Why? Because I have the presence of Jesus in my actual state. And, and so we went through a few examples of that last week. The first one was my abs. That Casey's enduring suffering because she has to put up with my abs. I shared that story, and then one of the dads came to me afterward and said, yeah, my son has a six-pack, and he says, Dad, you have a no-pack. That sounds about what my experience is. Casey's enduring suffering because my actual state is just my dad bought flabby abs. She would much prefer the six-pack. And she's like, David, I've never said that to you. Why do you, why do you tell these stories? <laughs> Again, I think it's a little funny. I'm like, babe, but you're thinking it, aren't you? But then in this journey of life, the suffering just begins to take on some exponential um, magnitude, right? Where we think of relationships. Either through the pain of divorce, the desire for a spouse because of death, the brokenness of relationships. My, my actual state is one of singleness for a variety of reasons. My desired state is one of relationship. And yet here's our conviction. Jesus meets me in that presence. Financial loss. We're thinking of circumstances right now due to COVID, people being furloughed, challenges to our finances, whether that's being laid off or a bid I didn't get. 
My actual state is one of that financial loss. My desired state is, I prefer not to experience that financial loss. And yet our conviction is, in the midst of that gap, Jesus is present. And when I think of physical pain, I think of cancer. That my actual state might be one of experience the pain of cancer or experience the loss that cancer brought in my life. My desired state? I don't want cancer. And yet the dashboard lights of my faith are flashing to say, David, do you believe Jesus is present with you in those circumstances? And I think Paul had a similar experience in his life that he challenges us with. Here's what he says in Corinthians. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. And he didn't tell us, he didn't tell us what that is. He didn't tell us what exactly that thorn is. But he says he has this thorn in his flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited Three times I pleaded with the Lord. When those sufferings hit your life, do you pray that God would you show up and be present? And I think of many people in my life that I think must have had a good prayer life. I would imagine Paul's near the top. I would imagine that guy probably had a fairly, fairly proficient, active prayer life. Here's what Paul tells us. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak then I am strong. Paul had that experience. His actual state, what does he tell us? He had a thorn. Didn't tell us exactly what that is. What was his desired state? No thorn. And yet, what does he share? In the midst of that, Jesus' grace was sufficient. Man, this is the kind of church I dream of. (laughs) That we are experiencing the truth of the gospel and the experience of joy in Jesus simultaneously in the midst of pain to a needy and watching world that looks on and says, man, I don't understand how that works. Because I was at Five Guys Restaurant. We went out for lunch. I went to hold the door for someone. I started screaming at me to get back. <laughs> People are experiencing a significantly different actual state sometimes that I might not always see. What would it look like for Hillcrest to be so filled with the presence of Jesus in those moments? Come what may, there is a joy that permeates our life. Even in the point of and to the extent of facing death. Paul is giving us these dashboard lights of our faith to help us say this is what genuine faith looks like. 
And then in verse 9, he continues to develop on top of that idea. If this is what the essence of faith is, that is both of these doors, here's the outcome of that genuine faith. Here's what he says. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. Larry, could you express that joy? (laughs) I'm sorry, it's inexpressible, yes. He's saying this should permeate our lives to an incredible way, to an incredible degree. And then he's going to add one more layer. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. He says, obtaining the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls. And, And I was wrestling with this this week because when you hear that language, where does your mind go? When I hear that language, my mind goes to future. That we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls at some future date. And do we believe that? Absolutely. That is a conviction. That is our hope. That is what we are anchoring our lives in, that there is a life beyond this through faith in Jesus. But what tense does he put it in? He chooses to put this obtaining in the present tense. And and so we ask ourselves, why? Why does Peter use the word? Because he could have said, someday you will obtain the salvation of your souls. But instead, he says, you are currently obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What's he trying to tell us? What's he saying by putting this in the present tense? that we are currently obtaining the outcome of our faith and that we are being delivered. There is a deliverance happening, namely the salvation of your souls. And so, test this, because this feels so counterintuitive. It feels like the encouragement he's telling us is about as counterintuitive as it can be. It would be like saying, Hey, you know the way you want to get rich? Take all your money and burn it. That's the way you should get rich. Hey, you want to be really, really healthy and have a vitality in your life? Eat a ton of Big Macs and fries. That is the primary way to experience health and vitality. So test this. But he's saying presently you are obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There is a deliverance that is happening right now through what? That suffering actually provides the best opportunity for ongoing deliverance. That in the midst of pain, in the midst of grief, it actually provides the opportunity for ongoing deliverance. Why? Because I get to test the genuous to say, Jesus, are you really all I need? And if that's true, there's a deliverance from hopelessness. There's this deliverance from fear that suffering is actually allowing me to gauge to what degree I believe I'm being delivered in this this space from sin and wrath and hopelessness. 
and from the brokenness that would consume me and all the other options that I might consume my life with. That I'm presently, actively obtaining the outcome of my faith, the salvation of my soul, as I continue to press into the reality that Jesus is all I need. And suffering then provides the lens to the degree that I actually believe that. And so there is an opportunity, this ongoing, active obtaining of faith, that when I encounter one of these circumstances, I rejoice. Though my actual state is different than my desired state, I rejoice. And then I step into another situation. And I say, God, meet me there, and I want to rejoice there. And it is this ongoing, active journey where I am obtaining, not getting and earning my salvation, but actually getting a fuller experience of the deliverance that has been provided presently, every day, Monday to Saturday. So here's my encouragement. Here's my four takeaways for us. That flow from what we would say is this essence of faith that is the full experience of both the truth of the gospel and opening the store to experience more of this joy. Because here's where our hearts could go. And I want to start with two, two ideas to press in where at least my mind goes. Don't beat yourself up. Where my mind goes is, man, I believe the truth of the gospel but sometimes I come over here and this door isn't as open as I want it to be. And I could go to this place where I start beating myself up and saying, David, see, you are worthless. <laughs> You're not as good as you think you are. Don't beat yourself up. Why? Because we believe it wasn't about us anyway. <laughs> Instead, we are anchoring our lives to a grace that overflows. That we're not earning anything. Instead, we're anchoring our lives to the truth of Jesus' sacrifice. So when those emotions of self-doubt or beating ourselves up because we think we could earn this, there's my encouragement. We don't beat ourselves up in this ongoing process. And then second, I think for me, my head sometimes gets disconnected from my heart and I just will the behavior. I just think, I know, I know, I know I'm convinced of what's true. I'm just not experiencing it in my heart. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to do more and try harder. That seems like potentially coming from a heart of uh, not engaging this door as fully. Rather, don't just commit to willing yourself and doing harder in this process. My hope is continuing to assess what degree am I experiencing this joy that Peter's describing. Third, this is what I do hope for, though. That as we go through this life Monday to Saturday, and I'm encountering, and I'm sitting crunching away at my desk, and, and Jesus is the furthest thing from my mind, my tendency could go, huh, yep. Yep, I'm, I'm a knucklehead. Yeah, Jesus, I haven't been thinking about you. I should do this and I should do that. Our commitment around here, we don't should on people, right? Instead, we don't just will ourselves, but rather we remember we are in process. 
So we do believe this is an ongoing process, present tense, obtaining the outcome of our faith. And when those dashboard lights come up, we are just reminded of another opportunity to trust Jesus more with that moment. And here's my last encouragement. You guys know that song? Then sings my soul. Tell me this. How does a soul sing? How do we love him though we do not see him? I think what Peter is saying, and I think what that song is saying, there is a singing that the soul does. There is a seeing that happens without the eyes. My encouragement, commit to seeing God with those different eyes. That it is reading, thinking, discussing, and praying about God's grace and salvation. Because I'm seeing Him in the process of relationship with other people with whom the Spirit of God dwells. And I'm seeing Him when I encounter Him through His Word. So we commit to see Him with those eyes, both in relationship as we discuss and pray, and then as we think and pursue Him through His Word. And so, uh, Dave Broom, I'd love to invite you up. Because uh, as you hear this stuff, there's an experience that, that you uh, maybe resonate a little bit with this. So let me give you, let me give you this. Um, why don't you introduce yourself and, and, and tell us a little bit of just how 1 Peter 1, 8, 1, 8 and 9 resonates with you. I'm Dave Broom, and I lead the, with Carol, the... Uh, Joy Connect, Just Older Youth, and uh, the Lord's been leading us into focusing on Jesus even more. Uh, I've been preaching Jesus for over 50 years and just learning to really focus on Jesus. And this whole message resonates with my heart, especially when David said, cancer. We all suffer. We all have suffered. We all will continue having times of suffering. And cancer, my first wife and I had been married almost 43 years. We had just moved to Tennessee from Michigan, and uh, she began to have some pains and struggling and finally decided she would go to the doctor. And after several bouts with the doctor in January of 2009, the doctor called us in. We were sitting in her office. And the doctor said, I'm sorry to tell you this, Mrs. Broom, but you're filled with cancer. Your body's filled with cancer. And I said, okay, so how long does she have? And she said, a few months. And we knew her parents and my parents both were married over 50 years. We knew that'd be easy. We'll do 60. But the Lord had other plans. And so we actually went out to the parking lot and sat in the car, and we'd been in ministry for 43 years, and we began to just weep and cry, and cried out to the Lord. And uh, the Lord gave us grace and brought the joy back and uh, the peace and the comfort that we had really never experienced before. It was the hardest suffering I've ever been through to this day. And the blessing, the great blessing was we continued to serve the Lord and even came to the place where toward the end, 
We were making hospital calls together, and I was pushing her in a wheelchair and going into hospital rooms because that's what she wanted to do. So we served the Lord right up to the end. And then on November 1st, 2012, almost four years later, she lived instead of a few months. And we really praised the Lord for that. I was sitting in my recliner. She was in the hospital bed in the living room right in front of me. And I was praying as I had prayed every day, every single day. I prayed that God would raise her up and heal her, that we could share that testimony how God healed, but God chose to go another way. And she passed away at 1035 that morning. And my life has never been the same since. I praise God that he gave me Carol, uh, almost, well, that three years ago, so five years later. And uh, God's Jesus has become my joy. Jesus is my peace. Jesus is my comfort. And so it's all about really focusing on Jesus and getting to know Jesus more as our pastor preaches so eloquently all the time. I praise God for that message today. It was special. And, and not, not with the absence of grief. Not with the absence of grief, but actually experiencing both of those realities simultaneously, convinced of a hope. Come on. Will you pray for us and pray for that reality to permeate our lives a little bit more fully this week, Dave? Father, thank you so much for this church. Thank you for our pastor and staff and worship teams. Thank you, Lord, for leading us into knowing you and experiencing you more every day. And help us, Lord, not to react to the suffering that comes into our lives, but to respond by looking for you and experiencing you, knowing your truth that you will never leave us nor forsake us, knowing your promise that you would meet our needs even in suffering, and that we might experience you meeting those needs, trusting you every moment of every day that you might be truly glorified through our lives. And it's in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen. Every week we gather with purpose. We don't gather haphazardly to check a box, that we're, that we're checking the box of coming to a church. Rather, uh, we believe we want to preach sermons that tell of tell of who God is. We want to sing songs to his glory. We want to tell stories of life in the family, of what he is doing in our lives. And every week, we want to commission you back out to life Monday to Saturday, believing you are being Jesus, that your story is this story, that you are his witnesses here, Dane County, and to the ends of the earth. And so as we leave today, Grab one of these cards on your way out. Put this on your living room door, your bathroom, your dashboard. And on it, it says salvation. To be reminded, we are obtaining the salvation of our souls every single day as we encounter these challenges. We are reminded of the salvation we have and that we long for someday. And then the second thing. I'm going to encourage you, grab one of these on your way out and put it on your lawn as a way, as a visible sign that we collectively want to be Jesus in our community. And this is one small way that we get to reflect. Though we have not seen him, 
we love him and that flows out into our desire to be Jesus in our communities. So let me pray for us as I go and send us back out. Jesus, you are good. Blessed assurance. Jesus, you are ours, and what a foretaste today in that experience is of a future divine relationship with you in your presence. And so this week, Monday to Saturday, we may be a little bit more filled with that reality everywhere we go and reveal to us to whom we might share of that reality. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We will see you Sunday with a ton of candy to share with our community.